Welcome to The Things We Say. I'm Sheldon. And I'm Nate. This is a topical podcast where the topics are chosen at random. Sometimes they will be profound, and sometimes they will be stupid. But no matter what, we have a lot to say about them. We are known for the things we do. We become the things we think. We live the things we believe. These are the things we say. Hey everybody, welcome back to The Things We Say. I'm Nate. And I'm Sheldon. And we're here today and ready to chat with you again. Absolutely. Yes, yes. And by that I mean ready for you to listen to us again. <laughs> again, we, we have really worked hard. No, we haven't worked hard. We really want this to be something where it's more interactive. Uh, so when we encourage you to do something on the Facebook page or you know with, with uh, Twitter or whatever, we have a Twitter page, right? We do. <laughs> um, go ahead and do that because uh, that will actually motivate us to do stuff on social media. I don't know that there's one comment that we haven't responded to. So I, I think that's true. There haven't been many it. comments, but but we respond. We, we like will. it. We like it. And just so you know, when we from now on, when we post on social media, we'll let you know who it is. I think the last time I did one myself, I actually put N for Nate because Nate is my name. Yeah. So we'll do that just so you know which one of us is actually posting so you can hear it in the proper voice since you know what we sound like. There we go. Anyway, totally so random. For this, this week, uh, things we don't understand. One thing that I don't necessarily understand and now is just kind of comical to me is locking your house. <laughs> so I grew up in the country out in the middle of nowhere. It was very quiet. Um, and we didn't lock our house unless we were going on vacation. Like, we'd leave for church, yeah. the whole house is unlocked. The yeah. one thing that would always be locked every night, and I don't understand why, was the front door. <laughs> the front door, apparently, if you were going to burgle the house, you definitely were not coming in the front door. But I like that you use the else. word burgle. That's a real word. I, no, it is. I just, it's not one that's used often, and I enjoy it. There we go. It makes burglary okay. sound funny, though, which is kind of sad. So when I got married, my wife did not like this tendency of leaving the whole house unlocked, and she wanted the place locked down. And so I'd go around and like lock all the doors when I remembered to. Mm. And so sometimes if she'd wake up and like have to go to the bathroom or, or look around and, and realize that a door was unlocked or something, she'd like freak out and make her like yeah. anxious. Yeah. And I understand what that's like now. Cause I've been locking the door for 13 years, but I, I don't, I don't understand it this way. How many Burglary attempts has my locking the house stopped. Yes. How many people have actually come up to my door and jiggled the handle? That's what I can't get out of my head. Is there? I can't imagine that there's been one. No. And and Maybe the reality the reality of it is the, re there... the reality of it is <laughs> is that locks do not prevent burglary. They just don't. They they are a. I know. And also think about it. I just it, get like, this picture in my mind of this poor defeated burglar yeah. standing on the porch, <laughs> like, darn, he, he locked his to door. Lock. Wait, did he leave the front window <laughs> a little open? Nah. Oh, he got that one too. Well, guys, call it off. We're yeah. Good. Well, and again, considering the amount of windows and and doors that have major glass in them, like it's it's easy to get in pretty much anybody's house if you really are determined to. Yeah. Um. So for me, I mean, I'm a door locker. I always, I always have been. But you're, uh, growing up, my, my parents really weren't either. Um, no. And 
it, yeah, it is kind of a funny thing. It really I, is. And it's interesting because Jess, Jess was, grew up on a farm, right? Yeah, I think her parents had like a burglary incident. Well, I also think, though, there's, a, there's an interesting thing that happens. Like, okay, the more, the more urban you get, so the bigger the city or the closer the city you get, the more your tendency is to lock the doors. The more you get out into country, suburbia, whatever, the less that tends to be true. Oh, yeah. But then the more isolated you get, it's like the locking and and actual security measures go up. Yeah, like cabins. Yeah. Cabins have tons of Yeah, so if you're like if you're getting measures. out into like, hey, I live in the middle of nowhere in the mountains of Montana. There are mountains in Montana, right? Yes. Yes? Yes. Yeah. The western part. Yes, yes. I don't know why, but suddenly I was blanking and I didn't want to be one of those things where I'm like, the mountains of Indiana. Eh, it's kind of flat there. Um, <laughs> but like you're gonna have you're going to be one of those weird hermits that don't want to talk to anybody anyway, and you're going to have some serious locks and security Plus measures in your house. you're probably the only one living there. Right, which, so, which again says that there's less need for it, but yet the level of paranoia, the more isolated you get, tends to go up. So it is this weird curve on either end of the spectrum. Yeah, but I don't think it does anything. It can, but... It does for your own mental the, health, yeah, but, but the, I don't think that the anybody's severity, ever come up and like... Yeah, uh, the I severity of what you would have to do to actually make it an effective measure against burglary or breaking and entering is really expensive and ridiculous. And here in Ohio, the reason I probably would not come over to Nate's house unannounced or arrive in anybody's house and just rip open a door and walk in is because we have the castle doctrine and you can be shot dead. Yes. Like, you just don't... You don't do that. You don't do that. No, you so don't do that. So I, I don't know what would enter someone's head, first of all, to, like, go try to go into somebody's house that isn't theirs. Right. And if they're doing that anyway, your door lock's not right. stopping them, so I don't well, know. And I'm, and I'm firmly of the opinion, like, if you, if you break into my house while my family is away or during the day when more than likely people are away... I'm sitting there going, ah, you were here to get stuff. You you sure. were looking for stuff. You're looking to pawn something or sell something. You're just looking for stuff, quick buck. If you break into my house at night, you and I are going to dance because you know that somebody is most likely home, and you're coming into my home with more intentions than simply to steal something. Yeah. And that changes the game for me entirely. So for me, I... I lock the house at night so that if somebody does want to get into my house, it's going to be a noisy process, and I will wake up. That is my logic of locking. That's true. At at night. That's at home mine now. That's kind of where I'm at. Yeah. I just want you know yeah. there to be a ruckus that will probably wake right. me up. Right. Should have to be louder than the train. <laughs> it's so, int- you know it's interesting though the things that wake you up at night because there's some small things that they're out of place and you yeah. hear them because they're out of place. But yeah, you're right. They're those white noise things that you're just used to. So anyway, so yeah. I used I, I used to find that comical. But then one one time I was the guy trying the locks. Um, <laughs> Wait a so, minute. Okay, in in college, uh, I went to a small Bible college called Rosedale. It's outside of Columbus, and um, the, so we would have once a month. We'd have well, we'd have chapel every week, and you had to come to chapel, and then. Once a month, we'd do this hymn sing where they would bust out the hymnals and we'd sing from hymnals. And it was part of your educational environment, different culture, you know, making, keeping, preserving what was already been there. And it was kind of an established thing. Yeah. But we had, like, me and a 
couple of my buddies, we did not like the hymn saying <laughs> we weren't happy that we were required to go to it. We didn't really like it. So we're like, all right, what can we do? So we're like, they can't have a hymn sing if they have no hymnals. So <laughs> we spent the better part of a week uh, going around to all the pianos on the college campus and removing all the hymnals. Oh, my goodness. So we had, like, stolen all of those. Um, and anywhere we could find a hymnal that we could get our hands on that wasn't in the chapel, we had pretty much removed them from campus life. Yeah. And then, and, and then we, like, went to the library and checked out most of, like, hymn stuff and had that. And then um, we went to the chapel building the two nights before the hymn sing and just left a couple windows unlocked and a random door put tape on it. Yeah. And, you know, just left some things unsecured so that we, we'd just see if they, they caught them or not so that the night before the hymn sing, we'd go in and take all the hymnals. <laughs> so... <laughs> Because emptying the chapel is going to take quite a while. Of course. So, so we went around and they had got every single window that we had left unlatched, just random different ones. And they got the tape on the door. And we're like, wow, that's like amazing security. Somebody's on their game. Nice. So we had to, one, one of, we had to get creative. One of our RAs left his keys out. And so we took them and gave them to a guy that wasn't involved. And we said, hey, keep these keys. Don't tell anybody where... <laughs> You put them, just put them somewhere and don't tell us. And we'll come ask you for them later. <laughs> and so they came around and what was the question they asked? Do you know Do you where know the Gerald's keys, are? keys are? And you could say no. And every one of us said no. Because <laughs> we were involved, but we did not know where those keys were. We couldn't tell you. Oh, my goodness. And then at 11 o'clock at night or whatever, before he went to bed, we asked him where the keys were. He brought them out. There we were. <laughs> we had the keys. We went to bed, set an alarm for two, pulled our friend's Buick around the back of the chapel. <laughs> and I've never worked so hard between two and three in the morning in my entire life. Oh that is Lord. a lot of work. You have to unstack all the hymnals yeah, and stack yeah. them at the end of the benches, and somebody's got to come along and carry them all. It was, it was a production. But anyway. But were you successful? We were. There you go. Uh, uh -oh. We showed up to chapel, and at the door, they're passing out pamphlets. Uh. And we're, I'm looking at my buddies like, what? Where'd they get these? <laughs> and here, of course, since it was a Mennonite school, somebody was up early preparing for this and realized there is not a hymnal in the place. They went to the music teacher's house, and I get one of the music professors had in his attic pamphlets from like the 1950s oh tent word. revivals. <laughs> so there was like six or seven hymns uh, and followed with just as I am on the back, you know, and, <laughs> and so they had enough hymns to pass out to all the students. That is incredible. And we had our hymn sing. So and we were really sad the so whole time. Again, I know we're, I know we're getting off topic cause we always do this with things we don't understand. My <laughs> wife complains about this every time. It's like, it needs to be shorter. Well, it's our podcast. We get to do what we want. You're <laughs> tuning in to listen to us talk. So this is us talking. There you go. Um, now I forgot what I said because I was being snarky. Oh. oh, no, it came back. So I've, I've realized my, obviously my wife's family is, is Mennonite yeah. and some Amish. And it's really interesting because especially on her, uh, her dad's, I'm sorry, her mom's side, her mom was one of 13 kids, so yeah. they were a country unto themselves, and they sang all the time. Yeah. But the thing that was interesting to me, the first time I went to Virginia to spend time with that side of the family, they're not actually singing hymns. They're old gospel songs. So they're like, they're like turn of the century 
gospel tunes. They're not oh, like the Mennonite. A, yeah, they're not like the, the ancient. Yeah, they're not like ancient hymns yeah. of the church. They're not like your Martin Luther or your you know any of that. They are they are gospel tunes. And I'm and I just think it's so funny like because Fanny Crosby. Is yeah, not yeah, that yeah. Long ago. And again, things that yeah. we consider old now because it was for our manner of speaking, it is old, but not old in terms of the ancientness of the church. And I've always thought that was really funny because in a lot of Nazarene dome, you actually are singing legitimate hymns. Uh, and so seeing a tradition that I feel is older than the Nazarene <laughs> church, older. but I mean, it feels, it even feels older. Like it, yeah. it, it feels older than that, but yet they have a more modern sacred hymns it was just i i I found it very intriguing and i and i told kayla that i was like these aren't hymns she's like well yes they are i'm like no they're gospel songs they're not hymns and so i started naming hymns. she's like well what's that song i'm like oh come on (laughs) but uh yeah there we go i find that very interesting we've now detoured pretty far from today's topic i'm in the mood it's all it's all good it's all good today's topic is why we are capitalists yes and by that we don't mean why our government is capitalist but why sheldon and i personally believe in capitalism. Yeah, I was trying to break this down for my kids because one of the things that bothers me is they'll come home and like Ryland's really concerned all of a sudden about conserving water. I'm like, dude, I just did a well this summer. We had a problem with our well. I replaced the pump. It is electric. Basically, you're wasting electric to draw the water (laughs) out of the ground and then it goes out in the sewage bed and it goes back down into the ground. Like, the cycle of our house, you could leave the garden hose on all day. Right, and, and it's all coming back. You don't you don't get to run around and tell your mom, you need to drink that coffee because you're if you don't, you're wasting the water. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, he gets concerned about conservation. It's good heartedness, but it comes from school and them teaching them to recycle, which is practically pointless. That's a crock. Recycling we'll have to, we'll have to a do a whole po- podcast and, on and, that. And I, Just so everyone knows, so I can crush your hopes and dreams, like 85% to 90% of the things we quote recycle actually end up in landfills in India and China. Yeah. They don't, they don't, yeah, it's garbage. Most people think, Literally garbage. Most people think the, the recycling is like all of a sudden it's going to come back as your Ford Escape. Like yes. it's going to be reborn. Yes. <laughs> that's not and, true. And that's not, that's not what's happening at all. So anyway, he comes home with this stuff. And so I wanted to get out in front of like socialism and communism and what this is. I wanted to explain the difference. And I'm like, okay, so, and I was trying to break it down for kids. And as I'm explaining this, I'm like, wow, uh, this is really why I'm capitalist. I'm like, you know, capitalism is in its purest form is the free exchange of goods and services right. and, and without the government being involved. Mm-hmm. And, and so it's like, if I make something really cool and I sell it to you, you're happy because you got the really cool the thing, thing that I right, made. Right. I'm happy because you gave me money. So that now, you can continue to thing, either make things or... Yeah. The cooler the thing, the more people want it. Like, I'm going to assume that whoever makes an iPhone is going to be really, really rich because everybody in America wants them. Right. So you have something that everybody wants, and in a free market, you charge as much for that as there is demand and As the market supply. is willing to the pay. The demand and supply curve intersect, and there's your price. Right. And off it goes. If your price runs too high, the demand is going to drop. And, or if someone undercuts you, know, you so yeah. on it goes. Yeah. And competition and all that. Like, And so I basically explained, okay, I have something really cool. I give it to you. You give me money. You know, or, and and then um, I was saying, okay, and the other part of this is capitalism works by having rich people. 
you want to make sure that you have rich people because I've never got a job from a poor guy. Yeah. All the people that give me paychecks are rich people. So I want to make sure that somebody is rich. I said, the reason being, your mom is not rich enough to hire a housekeeper. Right. So if we had a lot of money, she could just pay a housekeeper. Right. And the housekeeper would come and clean our house. And we would pay her money, and the housekeeper is happy because she gets money, and we're happy because we get our house clean. Yeah. So we have to be rich enough to do that. Right. And so my my employer has to want to make more of what he's doing to hire me in to yeah. the company. And so I was explaining that to them and how, you know, you need the richer guy to get richer or he's not going to make more jobs. Right. In fact, he might cut a few. Right. As his other employees become more efficient. I'm like, so you want to make sure that... The rich, the rich guys keep getting richer because you will always have poor people. Yeah. And I said, the cool thing about capitalism is that the poor people aren't always the same people. You can come up out of being poor in capitalism. Mm -hmm. You can fall from rich all the way down into poor and then back up to rich. Right. Or, you know, you can be rich all your life and end up poor. Right. Or poor all your life and end up rich. Like, right. They're not always... It's and that's what I hate about identity politics. It, it makes people locked into a mindset that I'm poor. Yeah. I'm poor, I'm poor, I'm poor. Right. You could be rich eventually. Right. Or, you know. Or could you, set your children up to be so. Or you could have maybe used to been rich and now you're poor. But don't yeah. keep saying that you're poor because you could become right. something else in this society. Right. And my biggest thing with capitalism is, is I, like, I understand in the good natured sense of people, I understand their opposition to it. But in the practical, I don't, because nobody actually lives that way. And I mean that in the literal sense. People die in, in socialist countries, with very few exceptions. But To me, communism is fully committed socialism. Yes, like I would agree with you on that. When you're committed to what socialism is, you end up completely communist. Because I was trying to explain to him what socialism is. I'm like, it's where the government says that these people are too rich and they're going to take almost everything they have and try and make yeah. it fair and like spread it out amongst everybody. I said, what it ends up doing is not adding very much to the people that they're trying to help. Right. But I said, the people that start to get really rich is the government and the people involved in right. the handing out of the rich people's money. I said, and, and what incentive do I have now to make the really cool thing? Cause all of a sudden I'm not getting rich off of making the really cool thing. Mm -hmm. No longer is getting money from you. Uh, an incentive for me. I, right. I, it's just not helping me in any way. Why right. do I want to make the cool thing? And so socialism is only successful in the places where capitalism once was. Yes. And it runs about as long as that capitalist engine can keep going under the strain of socialism until it shows its cracks right. somewhere. Right. And the reality of it is any successful socialist country is still in its, in its main tenets capitalistic to some degree if it's not failing yeah, there, there are some like unless, you're saying there are some underpinnings that are keeping it sustained unless the government owns every business which is communism where right. you all work for the government and then you get and paid give supposedly you, living wage yeah. now everybody's poor right except for the so those ruling in the ruling class yeah you and there's no opportunity to move up there's no opportunity to move out now everybody is poor and so the whole idea and this is a good idea i i get where people are coming from when they're saying hey i i wish the poor people weren't so poor and the rich right. people weren't so rich and if 
we could get government to do that. Yeah. How cool and, that and would the be. Problem, the problem with socialism is not the philosophy. The problem with socialism is that it is predicated on government being the relegator and delegator of all things. If, if you were to remove that element, I've always said socialism is a great way to live and a terrible way to govern. If you, by your choice, say, I am going to gather you know, people around me and we are going to share and share alike, we are going to choose to do this, great. That's fine. And honestly, that is very much the model of the, the Church of Acts. They made a choice to... Enriching your community. Yes, enriching, right enriching the, the immediate community of what was going on. And again, you cannot point to that as socialism or anything in that sense because what society was at that time was entirely different. If you were... You know, it talked about taking care of widows, widows and orphans. That was a big deal to the church. And what they meant by that is true widows and orphans, people who literally had no other family. Yeah. Because for me... If in, in my family structure, uh, being the oldest in my family, my job after retaining my father's estate, once he passes a, passes a working age, is to turn around and care for my parents and be the patriarch of the home, of, the, of, of my home, both for my siblings and all of that. Like, that, is, that would be my job. Yeah, and, in biblical and if my husband, And if my sister's husband were to die, she is under the protection of my household. She would come back and be under the protection of my household. If there was no family, if there was no connection like that, then you had somebody who truly had nothing, at, and again, women in society at that time, had nothing to do, nothing to give, nothing to offer to, quote, society, and therefore would starve or would have to turn to prostitution. So the church was literally taking care of people who had no recourse to yeah. take care of themselves. It wasn't just a general... Okay, here's here's a mother with with ten children who has a family that could be supporting her, you know, mother, father, brothers, sisters, but we're going to take care of her instead. No, 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 no. They took care of the true widows and orphans, orphans who literally had no parents and no other means by which to be protected. They took them in instead yeah. of turning them out. Same with with women who had been completely displaced. They took them in instead of turning them out. So there was very specific cultural criteria for those things. It was not just a blanket statement. Yeah. Um, because you didn't all... just to claim that you were a widow. Right. And then as long as you didn't, quote unquote, marry your right. partner, you would still be right. able to keep widow status. And, right. Yeah, and and, and, and I look at, that's the thing I struggle with with so many people's view of the poor. Being poor is not a monolith. There are people yeah. who are poor because of, of hard luck. There are people who are poor because they, they got a, a, a bad, you know, you know, a bad hand to start out with in life uh, and and have to work really hard to overcome that. There are people who are poor because of laziness. There are people who are poor because of addictions. There are people who are poor uh, because they literally can't physically, whether through mental mental issue or through uh, through some kind of disability, can't care for yeah, themselves. If there you, is there are multiple facets if to you break why. it all down and you're like, okay, look at look at all of society. who who is the truly destitute? person who cannot work completely unable to work has no family support structure who are how big of a percentage of our population is that right it's probably less than a percent right i think you'd be generous to get to two percent of the population right and then if you had a totally free society where we're allowed to enter into all kinds of arrangements you know 
with business and, and with exchange of money and whatever, how many people would be willing to give up, you know, one, two percent of their wealth to support those truly destitute people? I think you'd have no problem coming right. up with that money. Right. None at all. And I th- even even generosity amongst uh, say believing people. Yeah, I, I think would be enough to care for that one one to two percent. I I really do. Right. In a completely free society, um, read something that Ron Paul tweeted out this week that made me made me think a little bit. He said, and this goes to a different subsection of socialism, which is permits, permits, mm. oh, um, yeah. permits, and like uh, the the whole. Uh, what am I looking for? Like zoning and that kind of thing. Yeah. Permits are the and are the act of the government removing a right from you yes and then selling it back to you yes that's yes. what a permit is and i and i was thinking about that for most of the day today and i'm like no that's not true wait yes it is no in this case it's yes it is so like a gun permit for instance is removing your second amendment right yep. away from you and then it's selling it back to you or yeah. like and you jump through a particular hoop or like a building permit, yeah. you've now taken away the right for you to just build what you want, and now we're going to sell it back to right. you. Right. And the problem I have with it is not the regulation in the sense that there are certain hoops you have to jump through. Yeah. I don't have a problem. I, like, I don't have a problem with background checks for, for firearms as they currently stand. Sure. I think it makes sense. They should know if I have a criminal record. They should know if I've been dishonorably discharged from the military. They should know my if I have a history of mental illness. I think that's perfectly reasonable. And I don't have a problem with that because I don't have to pay for that. Yeah. I don't pay for that background check. I pay for my weapon. I pay the tax on that weapon. I take it home. However, the ATF has gotten involved and said there are certain things that are classified as, I think this is according to the uh, the, the Gun Act, Gun Control Act of 1968. Thank you, Linda B. Johnson, you functioning lunatic. Um, and yes, I said functioning just to make sure everybody caught that. Low functioning. Oh, he was a highly functioning <laughs> lunatic, actually. No, Any man who can, no, we won't even get into that. Um, but it made all of these arbitrary rules about what constituted an illegal weapon or a legal weapon, did all these weird, screwy things. The thing is, I can still. So I can go out and I can purchase a silencer, as most people call them, which is actually a suppressor. Won't get into that. Yeah. But I can go out and purchase that. But I have to spend an additional two to three hundred dollars for the ATF to take me through all the background checks and then say, "Okay, you're allowed to buy this." I have no problem with the background checks for it, saying, "Hey, this is a level, you know, three weapon. Yeah, you sure. need to go through a, a more extensive background check." But the fact that you were going to make me pay you two hundred dollars, I'm not going to pay you for air. I won't do it. You're yeah. not doing anything. You're not contributing. Anything. You're not selling me the item. You are purely saying, hey, you have to, like you're saying, taking away a right and, and saying, and this give us money to give it back to you. Rich. Yes. I can, I can go, I can go buy a machine gun. Yeah. You can go, you can still go buy them. Yes. You just have to pay. Yes. The stamp. Pay the, pay the state. Yeah. Essentially. Uh, yeah. And, and that is, that is really frustrating. I mean, it's not, you're right. It's not just that any permitting, you know, I'm I'm even I'm even bothered by car licensing. 
yeah. the way that it works. Oh, it's like, a huge racket. Yeah, it, it really is. Especially and in Ohio where you have to have front plates. I, <laughs> I do not have a front plate on my car out of principle. There you go. And when they stop me, I'm like, oh, it's right here between the seats. Sorry, I didn't get a chance to put it on front. <laughs> I have it between my seats. I, I just don't want to put it on. <clears throat> yeah. It's stupid. You don't well, need it. And we it, tried to pass laws in Ohio to take it off. Right. And I'm like... So all of a sudden we decided to take it off. Now was I committing a crime before? Right. Like really? Right. Was it such a big deal? Right. And again, it's it's the problem is that so many of these things exist to. It's it's a closed loop, and especially when you get into any kind of socialistic thing where you are paying the government so that it can continue to exist yes. beyond taxation, uh, which I am a big believer in that the majority of taxation is actually theft. But we can get into that another time. Well, income tax absolutely should be abolished. Yes, it should be because it's unfair. It's it's not that it's unfair; it's that it's actually constitutionally constitutionally illegal. No, it's but, unfair, and it only benefits liars. I, it benefits I know liars and cheats. But see, I don't like to use and the term unfair. Penalizes honest because people. Because I'm a big, I'm a big, I'm a big believer in in, in you know what's fair in the Sales idea. Sales tax is yes, fair. Yes, I love that. I love that. But I'm a big believer in the fact that fairness is the enemy of happiness, because fairness automatically sets you up for comparison, which then makes you miserable. Because fairness means you're looking at somebody else and saying they have this or don't have or or I don't have that, and that's not. Are you fair. sure you're a Cavs fan? All I hear from Cavs fans is that's not fair. They're, the refs aren't fair. No, I don't say fair. I say they're blind or stupid. That's a totally different thing. But anyway. yeah, no, no, that's not about fairness to me. That's about that's about doing your actual job. If you're doing your actual job and I don't agree, that's fine. I've just heard weeks of whining about how unfair yes. the game is. Yes, but blah, again, blah, blah. I, I just don't use that phrase. I don't yeah. I don't like that phrase at all. You, you will like never fairness. hear. I don't like fairness. Nothing is fair. Nothing is fair. We're all meted out. Differences in personality, differences in physical ability, all yeah, of these but things. But my whole thing about the sales tax being fair is that <laughs> if I buy a really expensive yacht, now I pay more tax yes. because I bought a huge yacht. But it, as a percentage, it's exactly the, the same reason, as a guy buying a candy bar. The reason I like sales tax is because it's something that is immediately felt. Yep. So if, if the government raises my taxes... A lot of times, I don't really notice it in my paycheck initially. It's like yeah. a leech. It just kind of draws away a little bit more, and it, and it increases over time. And it's like gas prices. Like 15 years ago, we would have been horrified at the gas prices that we are paying now. Well, what I love is when gas prices hit like four four twenty five a gallon or uh, yeah, something, yeah. the local marathon put up there, hey, don't complain to us about gas prices. This is how much you're paying in tax out of this gallon. This is right, how much right. you're paying in state tax. And, and they went down and listed all the taxes. Right. And really, they were charging me two bucks for a gallon of gas. And, and this, the rest was taxes. And I'm like, and, good grief, how cheap right. is gas? And how, this is this is where the problem lies. Our economy is that, could be flowing, right. dude. This is, this is where the problem lies is because everything that government touches turns to garbage. And this is the principal problem why socialism is a problem. Capitalism is not perfect. I understand that. And, and, yeah. and I've heard people say, you know, one of my favorite economists that I've ever heard, uh, Thomas Sowell is a big one that I'm a fan of, but uh, Milton Friedman, yeah. absolutely brilliant guy. Um, but I remember him, uh, he was on, a, on an interview with, uh, with Phil Donahue. Uh, one time, and Donahue said to him something to the effect of, "You know, but why should why is capitalism okay when when it seems to reward greed instead of virtue?" And he said to him, 
Well, what rewards virtue? He said, do you think the communist commissar rewards virtue? Do you no. think Do you think presidents of the United States even award vir- virtue? He's like, no. He's like, everything is, everything is predicated on someone's self-interest. It's just the manner of... What, what, how much of an advantage you have over the other guy. And there's yeah. nothing that's been developed so far un, uh, at this point in history. I'm perfectly willing to admit there may be something better so, the, out there. But it, to this point in history, there has never been anything developed that ensures more success for more people than capitalism. Yeah, and you can even look at like the GDP of nations. Yeah. Go ahead and stack them up. Yeah. And then look at the, look at the ones that are near the top. Your freest economies will be near the top. Right. Your most stringent economies are going to be at the bottom. Yeah. And if if there's seems to be an outlier, look how long ago they left capitalism. Mm-hmm. And it can't be that long. Yeah. And and everybody likes to point to like Eastern Europeans and all that. Most of the Eastern, not Eastern Europeans, like the I, Northern, I know what you Northern mean. Yeah. European, yeah. like. Uh, uh, Scandinavian nations, yeah, yeah, and they're and they're like, oh, they're socialism, uh, mostly only in the medical. Right, know, everything else is very capitalist, right, and most of them have just recently begun that transition. If right. you look at their, their and they have, and they are also very restrictive in their immigration. They are very unintegrated in their population. Like they have made a trade off of basically saying we are going to isolate as much as possible, and choose to live as this smaller more cloistered community. And in those circumstances, certain socialistic practices can work. Yeah. Because there is accountability to the community. The problem with something like the United States or in Europe, you know, in a lot of places, or in, in I'm sorry, in, in uh, Western Europe, is that our immigration system has overwhelmed any social programs that we have. Well, and so the, the mix of the two don't work. And again, micro- I'm not I'm not advocating for any kind of like ethnic purity in a, in a nation at all. But no. there's just the reality of that cloistered. Again, the smaller you get, the more socialism can work. The bigger you get, the more it falls apart. Think about apart. it in a microcosm this way: if we set up a, a small like commune, you know, yeah, and and you've got to pick who all comes in and what is what is the criteria for staying there and yeah. whatever. You could run a fairly socialist economy yeah. if you had pretty strict rules about how that all interacts and who can come in and who can't. Um, but look at the cities that are crashing and burning right now as far as like their debt, like yeah. the crushing debt of like San Francisco and L.A. and places like that, where you have you have liberalism tried at its truest form and they've got huge social systems yeah. and you've got people that are migrating to those cities to take right. part in those in those things that were created for the poor of that city before right now you've not only got your poor that were there before but you've all the imported. ones that you've yeah attracted. you've imported poor mm-hmm. you've attracted anybody that's down and out around your community into it to try and take part of the right. systems that are right. there and then and then what happens is they they have a crazy permit structure for building anything. You can't build right. at all because the government has now like locked down and make sure you can't build these huge buildings or not not without all these regulations and everything. So only the super rich yeah. are building. Right. And and so then you have a housing issue. Right. Because you're not allowing the market to dictate. People can't just go out and build houses for these people. You can't build them bigger. You can't build them taller. Right. And you can't, 
and you can't get rid of the social uh, systems that are drawing the poor people in. Right. So you're going to have fabulously wealthy people that own most of the houses and dest- complete like destitute poor mm-hmm. people. And people look at this situation like only if only you know the poor the rich people were kinder. Yeah. Okay. Tell you what. Free up this economy for two years. Yeah. Let the government just walk away and see what happens. Right. Guarantee your rich people, yeah, they're still going to be fabulously rich. But there's going to be tons more middle-class people living in middle-class houses. And where did they come from? They used to be poor people. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Right. Because if you look at, if you look at uh, whenever they try and make things fair, it's pushing everybody down. Right. And it's pushing everybody down. It doesn't actually lift anybody up. Right, right. Capitalism will lift people way on up there. Right. And right. you can hate them all you want. But, it, but again, you, you have not seen the success in societies that you have seen until capitalism was a thing. Yeah. Like, it just didn't exist. It didn't exist anywhere. I must say, I enjoy being a part of a society where a Lamborghini drives by. Yeah. Or where there's a huge multi-million dollar house being built or there's there's there is such a thing as yachts. Yeah. You know, if you if you we were all communists, we were all socialists or whatever, you wouldn't have those things of beauty. They would right. not they would not be built, they would right. not be created. And you know who doesn't complain about capitalists? The guys that build multi-million dollar <laughs> houses, the guys that build yachts. Right. right. You know, they right. don't complain about multi-million. Well, and and again, that's the thing that's that's interesting to me is is we've created this 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 false narrative and by we, I mean in America. This is, this is where a lot of this comes from. We've created this false narrative that, that the poor and the wealthy are a monolith and the middle class are the virtuous ones. Okay? Yeah. They're, the, they're the ones who will mete out justice to the wealthy and they're the ones who will give mercy to the poor. <laughs> like that is, that is what we have somehow created. You know created. why the middle class but, is such a thing? Well, we'll get to that in a second. But let me, let me make my point here and then yes. But... The thing is, the wealthy are not a monolith either. Yeah. There are people who are absolute scuzzy people who have made their money through absolutely nefarious, terrible ways. Most of them are in politics, by the way. <laughs> but there are also people who have done legitimate things that have that have provided for their communities, that have given incredible uh, opportunity for advancement for people within their company, that take good care of their employees, that have just done it the right way and have become fabulously wealthy and have made other people fabulously wealthy right along with them. So don't look at this whole idea that, that, that there's some inherent evil to being wealthy. And again, that is not biblical. That is not biblical. Don't quote to me, the love of money is the root of all evil and tell me that money is evil. It's the love of money that is the root of evil. There's a ditch on both sides there with prosperity gospel and like poverty gospel where you're actually preaching that it's more righteous to be poor. Yes. And then you have Paul saying, I've been rich and I've been poor and, and I've learned in all things to be thankful. Yes. Yes. Like neither one is bad. No. But don't get off in the ditch on either side saying that all rich people are evil and right. all, you know, yeah, that's that's not very good. The reason the middle class is such a big thing yes. is because everyone considers themselves middle, middle class. class. Right. There is not there until you reach like I'm talking like multi million dollars of disposable income. Yeah. Do you start to consider yourself upper class? Yeah. And and when people are surveyed, there is Way more than eighty percent of America thinks they're middle class. Right. 
And that can't possibly no. be true. No. If you take the median income and you go so many on either side of it, that's not most, that's not 80% of America. Yeah. You know, and so the reason everybody panders to the quote unquote middle class, especially from politics, is because everyone that votes thinks, thinks they're that's middle who they class. are. No, that's totally, yeah, I totally <laughs> and, get and that. And I thought I was middle class when we had one income in our house. And I was making not much above minimum wage. <laughs> and we were like all of a sudden had to buy baby formula and could not figure out where 20 bucks was going to come from yeah. in the budget. And if you would have walked up to me on the street and asked me if I was middle class, I would have said, yeah, yeah, absolutely. But I wasn't paying any income tax to the federal <laughs> government because I was poor. <laughs> <laughs> And I didn't pay federal income tax for years. Yes, which the poor, which the poor the do not. I know we talk about this all the time. Forty percent, forty percent of America pays no income tax and it's, whatsoever, and it's the lower the federal government. and it's the lower forty percent. It's not the mega wealthy. Yeah. Yes, they find loopholes and find ways, yeah. and they have tax lawyers to do all that stuff. But it is not that is not the forty percent that is not paying. The top one percent pays. I forget what the percentage is, but it's really high. It's huge. It is really high. I wish we'd have looked up that stat. Yeah, I wish we would have too. But it's we didn't know we were going to do this tonight. We the, just decided the progressive to. Progressive income tax is one of the worst things. It d it de incentivizes the exact thing that you should be incentivizing. Like it actually holds people like right under yeah. that hundred thousand, hundred and twenty thousand dollar mark. Yeah. Like if you if, if you, you you can give a simple example. If you run a business and it's predicated on sales and you want to kill your business, give your salesman a commission ceiling. Yeah. Because once they have sold once to they the hit cap ceiling. They have no incentive to work anymore. Yeah. And so they'll just come and sit and take up space in an office. If you give them a flat commission and tell them to just go, then the guy that his kids are really hungry or he really wants to build a house or he's really motivated for some reason, he's going to bust his tail and yeah. he's going to make himself rich and he's going to make you fabulously yeah. well. And I'll, and I'll even go to a more micro level than that. Any of you who have kids, if you tell your kids, hey, I'm going to pay you for this certain job. I want you to mow the lawn. But I will only pay you for the first two hours of work. Say yep. you've got a huge field and it's going to take all day to, to mow. Yeah. And say, I'm only going to pay you for the first two hours. Your field's not going to get done. Yeah. Especially if there's not a consequence for that. You incentivize people to go at certain tiers. They want to just stay below the cap as much as yep. possible without bumping up. Yeah. And it makes people interact in an economy in yeah. ways they wouldn't otherwise do. If, and that, that is uh, the foundation of Austrian economics. Austrian yeah. economics basically says the, the government does not understand what they do when they step into an economy and they say, oh, this is for the best for this economy. It's like throwing a rock into a pond and you don't know where all those ripples go because now you're changing the way people interact in that economy. Right. All of a sudden you're affecting the way people now buy and sell goods. And you can say that the immediate result is good or bad, but you don't know where those ripples go throughout the entire economy. And it may right. be that you made a change in steel and it's showing up in the medical community. For right. some, you're like, well, yeah. I don't understand. Milton, Milton Friedman did a, does a great illustration of that, talking about the complexity of a pencil, the economic yeah. complexity of a pencil. And he talks about the... You know, you talk, think about buying a pencil for, you know, whatever, 69 cents or whatever. And, and you say, well, I've, I haven't really contributed to it, the economy. I haven't, I haven't, 
you know, but you think about it, the graphite had to be got from somewhere. The, 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 the metal for the, the crimp that goes around to hold the eraser on, that was mined somewhere by somebody. The rubber was withdrawn. The trees were cut. Like, you were paying for an industry by buying a pencil. And yeah. yes, it is a small contribution to that, but nonetheless, you're a part of that. You're part of that huge thing that it requires to just make this tiny insignificant thing. And so again, that just grows and grows as you move out into things like automobiles. And we don't think about the things that make the things that make the things we have. Yeah. <laughs> we just think about the thing. And and I'm totally baffled going back to gas that we look at these fabulously wealthy oil companies and we're like, how do they have so much money? Yeah. And they're making it off of the $2 out of the $450 a gallon gas. They're they're somehow making a fortune yeah. off of less than what the government is taking yeah. out. And the government's not making a fortune. The government's going bankrupt. Yeah. Anything the government runs basically right. runs into a deficit at right. some point. Even the postal service can't manage to keep themselves yeah. above water. So, so here's my thing. Uh, uh, I agree with you on sales tax. I think that that is that is the only method that is technically really actually fully allowable under yeah. under the tenets of the Constitution. However, I would be willing to accept a flat flat tax. So one of the most poignant examples of this, if you go state to state, some of the states that have the best. Uh, surplus in their economies yeah. are states that have abolished their income tax totally. Yes. And and uh, I think Texas is one of them. Of course it where is. Where there is no income tax. And then you look at some of the other states that are successful and they have either abolished a sales tax in certain categories or completely. Yeah. So like, um, for instance, Pennsylvania had this on like food. You weren't taxed on food. You right. weren't taxed on particular clothes or something. Yeah. Um, but if you went over to, I think it was Delaware, that didn't have any sales tax. If you lived in Eastern PA, depending on the size of the thing you were buying, you could actually drive to Delaware, buy it, and leave, right. and it would make money. Think about what that does to the economy of Delaware, right. because they don't have to play fair. They're in their own state. They right. Can, get rid of their sales tax and, and you're going to come buy tons right. of stuff. In and Delaware. that's, and that's the beauty of, of what the United States is. And I think that's one of the reasons why I struggle so much with how somebody thinks socialism on a large scale could work in the United States. The reality of it is, is that we need to think more of the United States as the European union and not as a country in Europe. Yeah. The European union works because there are certain countries that are more economically free that yeah. pay for the essentially pay for the lives of the country that are more economically oppressed. The same is true of the state system in the United States. There are countries like Texas that are massive producers and that don't have state state tax. You know that, yeah. that that. But then there are places like California and New York that are massively oppressive in that. Yeah. But things like Texas make those things possible. Yeah, because it continues to feed into the federal government and continues to sustain what we've got. You just so have to I'm, look at like sports stars when they say, oh, if he had that same contract with a Florida team, he's right. actually getting paid $2 million more because right. California is taking it out of right. his taxes every time. Right. And that that just boggles my mind. Of course you're going to want to be a millionaire in right. Florida. And, and I'm how fine cool for Florida's economy right. if they have more millionaires. And I'm perfectly fine with, with states within themselves voting to attempt some kind of socialistic program. Sure. Because I can leave that state. Yep. I have that option. It may not be convenient, but I have that option. However, when you start to implement it on a federal government level, that is when I'm going to 
uh, you know, I'll start, I'll start storing up, stocking up ammo and food, <laughs> and you know, we'll we'll do some holdouts on that. Preparing for the worst. Yes, because because you cannot do that on, on on a large scale. It will all it will all fall apart. You just can't do it. I think the state is about the maximum macro level that you can do socialism at, and not have it turn into. Uh, basically what the Soviet Union was and the millions that were killed and starved and, and destroyed. Um, it will fail still. This is why California is, is falling apart. I mean, when you think about the massive amounts of wealth that California has generated, and yet they're a mess economically. Oh, yeah. That tells you something. When you look at something like Detroit that had the biggest auto industry in the world and is now a Scooby-Doo ghost town at best... <laughs> Like th- these kinds of socialistic and the practices solutions have that killed they're it. trying to bring Detroit back online are a lot of them are capitalist exactly. solutions. And again, don't get me wrong. I know capitalism is not perfect, but there is nothing better so yeah. far and, developed. And I'm I'm absolutely convinced that the freer the economy, if you if you were to free up the economy and see what would happen, yes, you would have super rich people come out of that. Yeah, but yeah. you would also like. I would say today it's better to be poor in the United States than it is to be poor in the middle of Somalia. Without a doubt. And or being poor in India. Yeah. I mean your and life if you're poor in, if you're poor in India, you're stuck there because of the caste system. Yeah. You and, will do what you do for the rest of your life without kids, any choice. My kids were like, Why is it better to be poor here than somewhere else? I said, Think about it. Panera bread is throwing out bread every day. I'm not gonna die. I'm not gonna die. Even if even if my whole house got bombed yeah. tomorrow and I had nothing. I didn't have you kids. I, all of a sudden I don't have a family. I don't have anything. Uh, there's still stuff growing yeah. all around here. I can go eat. I can go hang out behind Panera bread. I'll have something to eat. I can go find water. You know, I'm, I'm going to survive. Right. The problem is being poor in a society where there is nothing. Yeah. And you can't, you can't survive. You can't find a way to make a living. You can make something and try and sell it, but nobody's going to buy it. And that kind of thing. That's, that is truly difficult. Right. But you can, you can see somebody like Ben Carson who raised himself from poverty by devoting himself to study, devoting, you know, becoming a doctor, you know, Mm -hmm. and he could do that in a free society. Right. Whereas other places you couldn't. And yeah, to me, it's, it's, it's sad when people identify and say, oh, the poor guy's always going to be poor, or I'm never going to get ahead. Yeah, it's just not true and, here. And you're identifying yourself as saying, I'm, I'm just poor. That's the yeah. way I am. That's the way our family yeah. is. That's who we are. Right. You don't have to wear right. that. And the reality of it is, and again, I know, I know in the extreme upper classes, you've got that whole reality of, of like the old boys club where it's like, oh, well, I come from money, you come from money, we do things together because we come from money. Mark Zuckerberg and Elon Musk. Right. Guys like right. that, that, I mean, you right. look around, why, why is Mark Zuckerberg wear a sweatshirt? Because he doesn't have to be a part of your rich right. people's club. Right. He didn't and, come from and so, money. And know? so my thing with that is, is that there's just as much, you know, people talk about entitlement mentality in the poor. There's just as much in certain aspects of the rich as well. Oh, yeah. Those who have been established and rich for a long time and generationally rich, which is not all that common, actually. Uh, a lot of times, two, three generations into wealth. Generational wealth is often, when, when people attack generational wealth, they're mostly attacking farmers in America. Yeah. Think about it. Yeah. Nobody has 
bigger assets that they're trying to transfer from one generation to the next than farmers yeah. and get in a plane and fly across the United States and look down and see what you're seeing the entire way across. Farmers are the total backbone of the whole country. Right. If you don't think it's true, you've just got to fly somewhere right. sometime and you will see all these farms. And that land is expensive. If you, if you try and sell it, you're going to make tons of money. Yeah. Whoever sells it is going to make tons of money. Yeah. But nobody is selling it because they're farmers. They're transferring it from one generation to the next. Right. So nobody in America, if you were to take a sample size of the population of who you're attacking when you attack generational wealth and passing down one family's generation to the, or wealth to the next, you are attacking farmers. Yeah. And you better think really clearly when you make laws about uh, about how wealth gets passed down, you've got to think of farms when right. you do that because it is the... What when Ohio got rid of the death tax, it was the best thing for their farmers ever. Yep, it was huge, and and yeah, I know that because my wife's parents are farmers. But you you just have to talk to farmers and ask them a, a little bit about it if you're talking about generational yeah. wealth. It's not your bankers. A lot of your guys that made money in stocks have a hard time passing it down to the next generation because the next guy isn't as smart. You right. be smart to right. keep continue up with that. It. Yeah. And that's the thing. I, I think if if I get into the what I consider the evil of socialism, um, again, the the worst thing about capitalism is that it gives it gives people a license to abuse the system and to acquire things or money through nefarious action. Now there's still consequence via law. There's still consequence via people not doing business with you anymore because you did something shady. But once you've made the money, you've made the money. Like you, as long as you've actually sold something or going to, I mean, I'm not talking about like a, you know, some kind of Ponzi scheme where you're selling something that's not real and it all comes collapsing down on you. But the reality of it is, is that that's gotta be your catchphrase. I know I need to stop saying it. Kayla's, <laughs> Kayla's been getting on me and getting on me with that, but I always do that. I start the getting intense. About it. It the reality of it is or the way it actually is. <laughs> <laughs> now I've lost my train of thought. Oh, and, and so yeah, I can get behind somebody in being that there are aspects of of capitalism that are evil in that sense. It allows evil to happen. Sure. Sure. But there's no way to actually prevent that. I mean, that is the reality of human nature, period. But the evil of socialism is far different because it permanently creates people in a certain caste that they must stay. Sa capitalism is about, like you said, the rising sea elevating all boats. Some yep. boats are smaller than others, some boats are bigger than others, but they're all rising with the same tide. However, in socialism, it says, you are the poor, we will now care for you. Not, we will elevate you, we will care for you as yeah. the poor. You are the middle class. Your job is to produce and help us care for the poor. You are the upper class, we need to bring you down so that we can care for the poor. Like, it is, it is, it is not a a transferable system. It is, it is a, it is a static system yep. and it is a forced with guns and pain of death or prison static system. And the evils of capitalism are often the way the rich people interact with the government. Yes. <laughs> and so you look at like the Rockefellers and people like that, mm -hmm. like back when monopolies were huge, um, around the, the turn of the 20th century, there was a lot of monopolies and that kind of thing going on. But it was about how those fabulously wealthy people were 
interacting with the government. And think about that. That's the problem with capitalism is how they interact with the government. So the solution cannot be to make government more powerful yes. and continue to grow it and grow it and grow it. You're still going to have influential people trying to interact with now a much larger, much yeah. more powerful government. And, 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 if, and I need nothing more. The solution is to make government smaller yes. so that the rich people don't have the power of government behind right. them. And then we can take them on through coming up with a better idea because a larger company that tries to take on more is less nimble. They're less in touch with their consumer. And as soon as you get small startups, they're very in touch with their consumer. Right. They're very nimble and agile and they, and they won't. That you can't crush them all. Yeah. And and for those of you who would say that socialism has never really existed in America, so we don't know if it would work or not, I, I, I beg to differ, and I will tell you why it is a disaster, and I can prove it. All you need to do is look at the way that the United States government has treated the Native American population. You have a microcosm of true socialism, even before it was a, a, a solid philosophy, where they said to the, to the Native American, we are going to care for you, we are going to give you land, we are going to do this, we are going to do that, we are going to provide, we are going to be, we are going to be the benevolent whatever. And yeah. it has completely destroyed the Native American community in the well, United States. Uh, part of that is, too, they also confined them to a particular space. It like was about is, control. This is your reserve. It was this about control. This is where you have to stay in order to benefit yeah. from these things. Right. You have to stay here. But like, socialism is always about control because it's always somebody looking and saying, I know better than you do to make a decision about your own life. Yeah. And therefore, I will be the one to make that decision for yeah. you. And if you're going to be a completely socialist society, you do have to have those types of boundaries where yeah. you have to stay within there. You can't just... If you can't just throw open wide open to anybody can come in and think about that. If all of a sudden anybody could just declare that they were Native American and participate in all the all the systems that are available to yeah. them, uh, it would crush the whole system and yeah. they'd be gone. Yeah. So, like, yeah. but again, it's it's been crippling for the Native American community. They've lost all independence. They've lost all ability to do things within their community that they've done for generations. But now it's just been stripped of all ability to to rise above. They're yeah. stuck. And it is not because they've been marginalized by white people per se. It is because the United States government got so over-involved in what they were and were not allowed to do that it has completely destroyed them as a people. Yeah. There's a lot of complexities there. There are. It would take a long time to unpack because again, of how it all started, where, like, the many different facets I went into it being today where some of the stuff that's happening today is still based on treaties and I, all yeah, that I get stuff. That. Like, I get that. But again, but the treaties were in, were U.S. government involved. Yeah. Native American relations were never bad. I mean, there were issues and there were skirmishes and there were, you know, raids and different things happened. But between most settlers and Indians, people were usually okay with each other. Like, there were the initial forerunners that usually didn't live long because they were weird and came into a place that they weren't recognized and were feared. But when actual trade and relations started, things were okay. Yeah. But then governments got more involved, militaries got involved, and yeah. that's when it all went to crap. So again, there are complexities, yes, but the core of the actual problems that you start to see on a, on a large scale always come from too much government involvement in those cases. Yeah. 
So that's why we're capitalists. Yes, we believe we <laughs> believe do, in. I do think that this and going back to some of this, the ills, um, I do think that the the capitalist solutions are not limited, because you don't know what solutions to the problems that you see in capitalism where right. you're like, oh, this is a problem, that's a problem. You don't know what kind of solutions are going to be created from an environment where people are free to interact. Right. Like, give it time and see what solutions happen. Right. And and again... Rather it, than having the government come in and say, right. here's your solution to the problem. And being being that we were very concerned with the poor in the United States as a culture, you know, even at least in our words, the reality of it is... The United States is the most benevolent, benevolent, benevolent nation that has ever existed on the face of the earth. Yeah. And if you don't think they are, maybe go to the G7 and tell them you're done paying for everything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and see how they act. Okay. <laughs> so maybe maybe you go to the UN and say, hey, I'm done paying but I'm, for all but this I'm, bull But that's crap the thing. And, see I'm not even, and, and it's true from a government perspective, but I'm talking, I'm talking the people of the United States of America oh, yeah. are by and large the most generous people in the world. Yeah. We give to more charities. We create more charities. We, we, I mean, think about it. So again, and this is people spending the money that they have to spend. This is not really? the government mandating it. This is them saying, this is the money I have, and I'm going to choose to give it because I believe in this or because I believe in that. Then don't tell me that what we've created is a system of evil. Don't do that because you can't prove it. You can You can point to some what you would consider societal injustices, but very rarely do they have to do with the actual economic system. They have more to do with abuse of yeah. one form or another, whether it's from the government or from an individual. So yeah, you can't argue that capitalism is entirely predicated on greed. The economy is, yes, but then people turn around and do incredible things for and with one another because of the freedom that they have to do whatever they want with what they have created, what they have earned, and what they can keep. Yeah. But anyway. All right. Again, this is a very <laughs> rant-based one, and that's okay. Yeah. This happened every once and again. It just came up because I was trying to explain to my kids yes. what it was. Yes, but yes. Now they're good little capitalists, and we're yeah, happy. There you go. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we'll I'll, see what they become. Again, I'm, I'm fully intending to have that conversation with my kids one day and say, okay, we're going to live a week under social, socialism. <laughs> I will pay you for the work you do, but I'm going to take X amount, and I'm going to give it to the one who has done the least work and therefore has the least money. Again, not always saying that those who have the least money have done the least work, but that's the only way it would work in that microcosm. And, in your house. And see how long it takes before I have full-out rebellion in my home, and, and they <laughs> overthrow me, quite literally. Again, my kids aren't there yet in age, so I don't have to worry about that at yeah. this point. But anyway. All right. Yep, we probably should wrap on this. We've been ranting for a bit. Yep. All we'll right. catch you guys next time. Uh, see you back here on The Things We Say. Yep. Thanks for joining the conversation today. The Things We Say is produced by Nate Ward. Technical direction is provided by Sheldon Stauffer. You can subscribe to The Things We Say on SoundCloud and iTunes. Don't forget to like us on Facebook at The Things We Say Podcast to keep the conversation going. This has been The Things We Say. See you next time.